You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mycitychurch. Happy Sunday. Welcome to 2021. We made it. I'm, I'm proud of us for making it into this year. The Lord has been faithful and kind to us. We are starting a three-week series this week called We Are New City, and we're, we're really trying to press into the Lord together and say, what might he call us to be as a church family this year? This week's sermon is, is titled, if you're a note-taker, A Culture of Honor in a Moment and a Time of Despair. A Culture of Honor in a Time of Despair. Will you open your Bible with me? Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, where we're going to be now. I know you're in your home right now, so this is going to be awkward unapologetically. We still want to hold the Bible in reverence. We want to let the Bible read us. So wherever you're at, will you stand in the reverence for the reading of God's word this morning? Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, they say this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is God's word. You can have a seat this morning. What will New City be known for in 150 years? This is a question that has kept me up at night as a church planter. Now, people may not know the name New City in 150 years, but hear me, we will, as a church family, have a legacy. In Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus calls us into his disciple-making mission, where he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples, baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That mission he has given to us He has guaranteed that because of his power, if we get with his agenda, hear me, our labors will matter forever. Friends, he's going to accomplish the Great Commission. Hear me, Jesus is going to get the job done. The question is not, will he or won't he get it done? The question for us is, will we be part of it? Will we as a church, as individuals together, Will we get on the Lord's agenda for what he's doing in this world? My prayer for us is that we would look to Jesus and say, wherever you lead, yes. Whatever you call us to, yes. And so often, friends, when we begin to think about getting on Jesus's agenda, our church family does not often rise to the level of that vision, that beauty that we've been handed from Christ. We most often fall to the level of the culture of our church and the systems that we have in place for the sake of making disciples. See, the danger in church planting, what you and I are getting to be part of right now, is that we build structures that do stuff, but hear me, that don't make disciples. That's lateral movement. It doesn't take us forward on God's mission. The other danger is that we let a culture grow in our church that betrays both the truth and the beauty of the gospel. 
What is the quality of our relationships? What do we prioritize? Friends, the answer to those questions will tell us about the culture of our church. You see, culture and systems are everywhere. Every church, every family, every person, you have culture and systems. Here's the question for us. Will those things be on purpose? Will we take and steward what the Lord Jesus has given us for his glory? Hear me. God is allowed to surprise us. Culture systems talking about things like this. Hear me. Um, the Lord is allowed to do what he wants. We do those with open hands. But, but hear me. We're not going to take the great commission that he's handed us and sit on our hands. We are responsible before God for stewarding the people, the resources, and the gifts of our church family. We're responsible for it. Friends, who we are together, the culture of our church is the evidence of which pieces of the truth of the gospel are changing us. And hear me, which pieces of the truth of the gospel we are functionally rejecting. They tell us that story. There are many people who don't yet know Jesus in this city, hear me, that belong to him. Those lives, those stories, those hearts pardoned by the blood of Jesus and healed by his heart and led by his hands. That, friends, that's what causes us to give sacrificially, causes us to pray like Christ is going to return tomorrow, that causes us to refuse anything less than a gospel culture in our church, and that causes us to take risks for the sake of God's kingdom. And wherever those things don't exist, guess what? As a church family, we're going to say, we reject those. We want to follow Jesus together. Wherever dishonor and taking one another for granted exists, we hunt it down with a culture of biblical honor. Where mere moralism exists, just getting the right things done, essentially, we stop and look up to Jesus, our gentle and lowly Savior, who meets us and leads us out of our sin by his goodness, not our own. This is who we desire to be. And as we come to our teaching text today about a, a biblical culture of honor in this moment of despair, this is where the vision that we've been handed by Jesus gets practical. Like if you ask the question, how on an average Tuesday do I actually invest in the work of the kingdom? As a student on the campus of the U of I, how do I make the most of living in quarantine on a campus? As a family in this city, how, how do I make much of Jesus in this very odd moment? Friend, a culture of honor that Romans 12, 9, and 10 compel us toward helps give us an answer to that question. So here's what I want to do. I want to answer a couple of questions with you today. First, what is honor? What is honor? It's an often neglected topic. And number two, what role does honor play in our lives? And then we're going to answer a third question, but we're going to do that as kind of a Q&A moment at the end. 
Let's dig in here. What is honor? Look back at those verses in Romans uh, chapter 12, 9 and 10. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, I want to give you just a little bit of context here for what's happening in Romans chapter 12. So it's going to make more sense for you of Paul's framework talking about honor right here. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been unfolding the most robust theology of the gospel in the entire New Testament. And in chapter one, he tells us the reason that you and I are separated from God, hear me, is because that's what we wanted. Verse 24 in chapter one, it says, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the, hear me, dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Okay, Paul, right there in chapter one, is saying that sinful, rebellious humanity, that includes you, desired everything but God. Augustine famously said, the greatest problem of the Christian life is wrongly ordered loves. Like our impulse, our direction was to love everything but God. And essentially right here, God said, okay, do you want your sin and rebellion? Here. In an act of judgment, God gave them over to the lusts of their heart. And did you notice Paul's framework for this act of treason, did you catch it, is honor and dishonor. To the dishonoring of their bodies. Paul saw sin and rebellion as an act of dishonor to a body made in God's image. And ultimately an act of dishonor toward God himself. And Paul tells us later on in the book of Romans in chapter six, verse 23, what the penalty of this act of treason and dishonor is. Here's what he says. For the wages of sin is death. We earned it. Not loving God, the one thing that we were made to do, that we rejected doing, the penalty, the earned Reality is death. And hear me, friends, there is a beautiful comma in that sentence. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hear me, you did not start loving God, New City, because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You started loving him because he crossed the tracks. He went to the wrong side of the town. He found you and he took on all of the consequences of your life of dishonoring God. And so when we make it to chapter 12 right here, Paul is saying to us, he's saying, hey, in light of the way that you've been loved by God, here's what it looks like when your love moves off of the things of this world and on to the things of God. Here's what love looks like in action, in light of the love and truth of Jesus. When you move from a Romans 1 mentality of being lost and dead in your sin, and you move toward 
a love for Christ and a love for his people, here's what forms a culture of honor. That's what Romans 12.10 is telling us. The Greek word right here that's used for honor, we find, it over, we find it 77 times in the New Testament. Hear me, that's a significant proportion. That's a theme. That's a major thing. Honor, hear me, is the act of recognizing the immense value of someone or something. In the scripture, we often see honor and glory as these kind of sister concepts. Glory is the weightiness or the importance of something. And honor is the conscious act of sincerely saying, wow, look at that glory. It's a way of saying, man, that matters. That's significant, right? In scripture, we see the glory of God talked about often again and again and again. And what do we see that the call of humanity is in, in the face of this glorious God? to honor him, that our hearts more and more would say, oh my word, that's unbelievable. Look, look who he is. Look what he's done. Look at, the, look at the power and the might calling it out. That's what the act of honor does. Friends, when you consciously honor someone else, here's what you're ultimately saying. Here's where I see the glory of Christ in you. Here's where I see his heart coming through your life. See, honor is love expressed. Love expressed for Jesus and love for a person in front of you. And as you begin to treasure Jesus, as you begin to realize how he's loved you and saved you, guess what? You begin to start to see his fingerprints in the lives of others. And you begin to point them out. That's honor. Jesus takes us from a culture of dishonoring ourselves, him, and others, and takes us into an environment where we start intentionally looking for his presence and power on display in others. You should also know, here's what honor is not. Honor is not flattery. In the book of Isaiah, we see God say about the people of Israel, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but they are far from me with their hearts. That's the opposite of biblical honor. It's to, it's to essentially perform the behavior of honor without the heart of honor. And when we start talking about that being part of the culture of our church, we are saying, Lord, we long to have a heart of genuine honor toward you and toward others. We will not be a church of flattery. But hear me, we will be a church of honor. I'm convinced that this is one of the most powerful weapons that the Lord Jesus has put in our hands to display his glory as a church. A culture of honor. And that leads us importantly to the next question we want to ask. What role does honor play in our lives? I want to give you a little bit of overview of scripture teaching on what role honor plays. First, honor gives us intimacy with God. Gives us intimacy with God. Look at John 5, 22 and 23. It says, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. 
Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. What's Jesus doing right here? He is tying the father and the son together. He's beginning to give us a peek behind the curtain of the mysterious reality of the doctrine of the Trinity. That honor is the dynamic of the relationship of father, son, and spirit. That the father's going, oh my gosh, you got to see the son. You've got to see him. And the son's going, oh my gosh, the father, the father. And the spirit's going, oh my goodness, haven't you seen the father and the son? And there's this dynamic of honor between them where they are, they are enjoying and seeing the goodness and the glory of one another. In John 5, 22, Jesus is telling us that he is in a real sense inviting us to know that God in this dynamic of honor, that we might honor the Father, that we might honor the Son. He's saying, hey, this, this thing we've got, Father, Son, and Spirit, is the very centerpiece of the entire universe. And you, as a child of God, get to experience participating in that. Not that you become God, nothing like that, but that you get to line up with the very purpose of the universe, which is the glory and honor of God. We get an intimacy with him there. Honor is our future. Revelation 5, 13, this is a peek into the end of all things it says. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is a glimpse of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gathered around the throne of God forever. And what are they doing? They are honoring God and the lamb. They are saying, look at Jesus. Look at what he's accomplished. Look, look at the lengths that he went to to save his people. Look at his might. Look at his meekness. Look at his beauty. Look at his glory. Look at his gentleness. Look at his wrath. Look at everything that he is. Friends, if you are in Christ, that is your future. And every time you participate in an act of honor, guess what you're doing? You are rehearsing for the coming kingdom. When you look at your friend, at your brother and sister, and you say, man, here's just where I see Christ unfolding his goodness in you. You are rehearsing for your future. That's a beautiful honor. Honor shapes the way that we interact with authority in the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of what? Double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this is a Bible verse that I'm tempted to feel awkward reading because I am an elder who labors in preaching and teaching. I'm literally just reading the Bible to you, okay? Don't shoot the messenger here. God says that there, there's, there's a spirit special and particular honor that he's reserving for those who are hopefully caring for your souls well. Where you say, hey, I see Christ's work in you, leader, pastor, elder, my vill your village leader. I see Christ at work in you. Here's how God is using you to make a difference in my life. 
Now hear me, there, there are abuses in leadership, right? The assumption right here is that the leaders are leading with humility and gentleness and kindness. This isn't a tacit endorsement of like, hey, I'm, I'm the leader, so I need to be honored. And that means I need to be carried from my car. I don't want to walk in the snow. And I want you to plop me down in front of this pulpit and everybody, uh, somebody get me a bowl of M&Ms, no green ones, right? That's not the idea here. The idea is that the leaders are leading with humility in this context of honor. Honor also shapes the way that we interact with authority in the home. Exodus 20, verse 12, kiddos, listen up here. It says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. This is a command, one of the Ten Commandments, it's a big one, that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. And you live long in the land is the way of saying that you, you receive God's promise in doing that. And here's what that means practically. It means that you recognize however imperfectly your mom and dad display it. God's good authority in the universe is modeled through your mom and dad. Some of you think about that and you had terrible parents who didn't love you well, who didn't protect you, who let you be introduced to things way sooner than you should have been introduced to certain things. Can I just tell you, I'm sorry, and that's not God's design. But there is a way that we can all still honor our parents following the command of the Lord. Here's, here's another thing. Honor shapes the way that we use our money. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. When we honor the Lord with our money, with what we've, what we've encouraged, some of y'all are really good at making money. Hear me, that's a gift from the Lord. He's made you good at that. And he says, okay, honor me with it. How, how do you honor the Lord with your money? You invest in kingdom work for the glory of God. You say, hey, I see your provision for me. Like as good as I am at making money, I recognize everything that is to be had is first and foremost owned by you, King Jesus. We don't let money become our God, right? Jesus tells us that no one can serve both God and money, right? We honor the Lord with our money. And when we come back to Romans 12, chapter 10, we realize that honor is meant to characterize our church as a whole. Let me ask you, if our church was really an environment and a culture where any person could come in who said, man, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm, I struggle and I'm trying and there were people in this church committed to a culture of honor who got down on their knees and met eye level with a shamed sinner and said, here's where I see Jesus at work in your story. Here's where I see him moving. The gospel becomes as believable as it is people begin to get a taste of the culture of heaven. When we model a culture of, honor, culture of honor in the way that we do leadership, guess what? Cynicism starts to die in a room when you embrace a culture of honor. 
it changes things. What if our scrutiny was over people's Christ-likeness rather than their failures? Hear me, there is a time for pointing out failure. The New Testament, the whole Bible clearly calls us to hold one another to account. That is absolutely true. But honor, according to Romans 12.10, is meant to be a dominant theme in the way that we relate to one another. If the only conversations that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ is a conversation of here's where you're failing, here's where you're broken, guess what? That person is going to struggle to believe that the grace of God is actually changing them. But if we embrace a culture of honor where we say, hey, hey I, however small, and sometimes you got you to gotta hold something back in yourself and you got to go, okay, I can barely see the work of Christ in this person. I'm not going to tell them that. I can barely see it here. And you go up to them in humility and you say, man, I just see the patience of Jesus in you. Like the way I watch you interact with your family. You got one kid swinging off the chandelier. You got one kid setting the living room on fire. And man, you are just, you are just steady in the way that you parent them. I see the patience of Jesus and you keep going. Keep doing that. You know how much fuel that puts in a person's soul when you do that? It helps them move forward. It helps them carry on in following Jesus. Honor is meant to play a significant role in the life of our church. Significant. It is calling out the importance of someone or something. And Jesus has called this to be part of our church. The final question we're going to answer is how do we live this out as a church? Like, how do we do this? I want to get very practical with you. I'm going to invite my friend Ben up, who's amazing. Many of you know Ben, um, and we're going to have a conversation here. So give us just a second. We're going to bring some stools up, and uh, we're going to get a moment. Um, while we're getting that ready, I want to invite you even right now to honor the Lord with your finances. Um, the link for giving to New City should be live in the YouTube chat right now. And so we want our giving to be marked by joy and by sacrifice. So whatever that looks like for you, joyful and sacrificial, take time right now to give to the Lord. All right. Hello, Ben. Hey. <laughs> Glad you're here, my friend. Um, you and I have had multiple conversations about how coming into a culture of honor, a church that really prioritizes this, has been a life-changing thing for you. Um, how so? How's a culture of honor changed your life? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to admit. Um, but I think I've lived most of my life struggling with um, trying to please men over God. Um, I think the Christian walk for me for so many years was about doing the right things and saying the right things. Um, it came with it this uh, expectations, this desire to to please the leaders that were above me. Um, it really caused me to be concerned. Um, about pleasing them more than being sensitive to the Spirit's call in my life. Um, these last few months, it's really hit home the necessity for encouragement. Um, it's, we live in a very cynical world. Uh, every moment, every day, it's a battle for my heart. Um, 
Actually, I think most people lack, uh, suffer from a lack of encouragement. Um, we see this day in and day out, right? This, this lack of encouragement leads to discouragement, right? People, it's the sixth cycle of, you know, people are discouraged by somebody and then they in turn discourage the, the people around them because that's what they're experiencing. Yes. And so I, I needed encouragement, not because I fulfilled an expectation, not because I pleased a leader's expectations or what I perceived as their expectations for me, but I needed encouragement just because I'm an image bearer, I'm a child of God, that my identity in Christ is enough. Um, the result of that, being encouraged by people like you and others, has really freed me from the desire to please others over God um, and to listen more intently to the Spirit's voice and to be a better encourager. Um, it has brought encouragement, and the need for encouragement and encouraging my brothers and sisters to the forefront of my mind. I don't do it perfectly, but it's definitely, um, it's brought it, brought it up um, and, and the importance of it. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. Like, honor produces encouragement. Like, it encourages the people of God. I don't know anybody who's too encouraged. I've never met that person. Like, maybe there's a person who, like, they start strutting around and thinking they're big stuff or something, but it's almost, it reminds me of, like, Paul who says, like, um, should sin, ab- or uh, if grace abounds, will people sin all the more? And he says, not in a gospel culture. That's not what happens. When the people of God are encouraged in what, they, in what Christ is doing, um, it actually leads to more obedience, more fruit. It's a beautiful thing. Love that. So let me ask you, what are we losing out on if we don't embrace this? Man, um, I think a lot um, I, th- I think we're losing out on joy, first and foremost. I think where, where a culture of honor is lacking, like, man, you can just, you just walk into a room and feel like where, where people are not used to this dynamic. Everybody gets real uncomfortable when uh, honor starts to take place. And when you, when you step in and begin to exercise what Christ has called us to exercise right here, it just you it's almost like watching a wilted flower like come back to life right it like it brings reviving and refreshing to people's souls because they start seeing Jesus they see him at work in um in their own hearts i think the other thing ben that we lose out on is like um i think we lose out on the diversity of gifts and callings that are supposed to come up in Christ church because most people, they don't step forward and go like, man, I see God calling me to this very clear thing. Um, most of us can look back on the stories and we think of a volunteer leader in our lives. We think of our youth pastor. We think of our friend who said, man, I really think I see Christ doing something in your life. Like, it just seems like when you talk, people listen. Like, it just seems like maybe you have a gift of teaching or something. It is those acts of calling out the activity of God that really call, brings people to step into the calling that God has for them, which is, man, if we get to the end of 150 years and we've just left all the cookies on the shelf, 
man, I mean, I'll be long dead unless science really picks up in the next couple of years. But goodness, I, it will be so disappointing if we leave the cookies on the shelf and honors a way that we don't do that. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think something important for us to think about, we talked about this earlier this week, is like, how do we honor people that we disagree with or people that like genuinely get on our nerves? Like, because that's a calling, right? It's to honor one another. How do we do that, Ben? That's a good one. Uh, yeah, because I think these days it's easy to perceive people that we disagree with as sort of this one-dimensional bad guy, mm-hmm. right? They become purely one things in our minds. Um, and so the Bible calls us to remember that all people bear the image of God, that all people have an inherent worth. The fingerprints of the creator are yes. all over them, whether they acknowledge it or not. Um, so when we begin with who they are because of who God is mm-hmm. and what God intended for them, we begin to look for signs of the creator in them. Yes. We begin to look at them as God does. What they believe doesn't change the fact that God has created them and he loves them. So we start with prayer, right? Because prayer, there's no better way to change our hearts when we have bad feelings towards people that we disagree with and no better way to change their hearts. Um, And then secondly, look for ways to just serve them, not with some, you know, motivation or intention other than just to love them selflessly like Jesus loved us. And third, look for ways we can point them to Jesus. So good, man. That's, I, think of, I think it's Galatians 4 where Paul talks about the church there, and he's like, I groan with the agony of childbirth to see Christ formed in you. Oh, like I just, I want to see the life and glory of Jesus displayed through your life. And like as a leader, like you can lead in other people's lives in a significant way by just being a person who embraces a culture of honor. Like you can be part of calling that out, of saying, here's where I'm seeing Christ formed in you. And man, here, what could he do with it? What could he do with it? It is so pivotal, so pivotal. So Nick, how can we do this today? How can the people listening at home practically live this out even today? Man, this is... This is such an important question for us. Often a theological concept like honor can kind of live up in our brains and doesn't always get to our hands because we just don't know how to do it. It's like, how, how does honor pass what I call the hey mom test? We're like, hey mom, look, I'm honoring. Most of us wouldn't know what that meant, right? Um, and so I think some things, some practices that we can embrace that are real simple that you even today can take a step in obeying the Lord's command to outdo one another in showing honor. I wrote just a couple down that are important. Pull out your phone, like pull it out right now and open a text thread for a person in your life. This could be your village leader. This could be a friend. This could be a mentor. This could be whoever. Pull out your phone and give yourself 10 minutes. Don't write it right now. Wait till the gathering is over here, but give yourself 10 minutes And just reflect on where do you see Christ at work in that person? Like, what could that do in your marriage today? If you just, if if you pull, you text your wife or your husband and say, here's where I see Christ at work in you. You just pay attention. It's as simple as that. 
It's as simple as that. I think that's one important way. Um, And then I think the other thing, I'd love to hear what you would add to this too, Ben, is embrace honor as a spiritual discipline. Embrace it as a spiritual discipline. Like, hey, this is something that I'm going to do regularly. And so it's as much as like I I put Bible reading and prayer on my calendar, I'm going to put honor in my calendar. Who am I texting? Who am I reaching out to? Who am I going to send a Marco Polo to to just say, here's where I see Christ's work in you? I think if we, if we do, these are simple things, right? Everybody has a phone. Um, if, if you don't, I don't know how you're watching this, but I, almost everybody has a phone. And it's so simple right now, especially with COVID, a way to just say, hey, the Lord's still at work. If we're a church that believes that coming out on the back end of all this this madness, guess what? The Lord is going to use us as a buoy to lift our broken city, to help them see Jesus, repent of their sins, and and trust him. What would you add? How how do we do this? It takes intention, intentionality for sure. I mean, in, in the short time that I've been really trying to look for ways to encourage people, it takes a lot of intention and thought and forethought and thinking through paying attention, right? Paying attention to how can I encourage this person? How can I um, build them up? How can I point them to Jesus? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, like, I'm not very good at this. So what I tend to do is I tend to encourage people on what they've done, which is, which is fine. Yeah. But... Yeah. I desperately want to get to a point where I'm encouraging people just because of who they are in Christ mm-hmm. and not because they did a good job on something, right? And yes. that's, that's for me the, the goal of 21, I guess, 2021, to move beyond just encouraging people for what they do and how they've done it and just who they are in Christ. So vital, man. It's like you're, you're not waiting for a moment of success all the time. Like those are there, right? Because we, like Christ is the victor, right? Any moment that his glory comes in the world, we want to celebrate that. But just like, if you are in Christ, like Ephesians says, you have every spiritual blessing. Like, come on. Like there is, there is an abundance of places that we can honor. <laughs> like we just got to pay attention. It's as simple, as simple as that. What? What an important thing. What an important thing. So friends, if you're in Christ, if you're part of the New City family, like today, embrace this culture of honor. Like just say yes to Jesus in this and in one sense, like live this out practically. And for all of us, whether, whether you are peeking over the fence of Christianity, you're serving Jesus and you are failing miserably in this. Um, maybe you are stuck in living a life of dishonor. You're dishonoring the body that God has given you in sin. You are dishonoring God. You are not living to serve or follow him. Everywhere that you have dishonored God and yourself, Jesus never dishonored the Father. He lived a life of perfect submission to the Father. And for all who will believe in him, guess what? He credits his record of perfect honor to you. 
as if you, as if you never messed up. He gives you that identity. And now, when, when you believe in the gospel, the power of his life, death, and resurrection, guess what? There is new power because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And all of a sudden, honor becomes an overflow of the power of God in your life. One more parting thought here, and then I'm done. Um, I think so often, when we think about honoring others, we're going, I'm barely hanging on. Like, how can I pay attention to what God is doing in somebody else if I'm just barely surviving in this thing? Guess what? If you're doing biblical honor, you are tapped into the fount of living water. You are giving beyond your capacity. Why? Because you're tapped into Jesus's capacity to love others. I think he can do it in us today. And so, friends, we're going to sing um, to Jesus here as we close. And uh, I'd invite you to just steady your heart and thank God for who he is as we prepare to sing here.